Good math teachers don't teach that 4 plus 5 equals 45. Now, why? Well, because they teach objective truth that says if you have four apples and someone gives you five more, you end up with nine apples, not 45. Good English lit teachers don't read Hamlet's line, to be or not to be, that is the question. And and interpreted or teach their students that Hamlet was wrestling with the existence of God. Why? Because good English teachers interpret Shakespeare accurately and teach their students that Hamlet was wrestling with suicide. To be a faithful teacher, you need to rightly understand truth and then teach truth. Sound teaching and learning spring forth from sound doctrine. We live in a day and age where many professing Christians and churches dismiss the importance of well-defined theological doctrine. For many, doctrine is actually a nasty word. Following Jesus, oh, absolutely, we want to follow Jesus, but doctrine, no, 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 that, that divides. And it's troubling when people who profess to, to have a relationship with Jesus And yet, they snub the clear doctrinal boundaries that he lays out in his word. Last year, Lifeway Research and Ligonier Ministries teamed up to do a study on American theology. The results, I'll just tell you, they're very sad. The study revealed that many classified as evangelical Christians actually reject essential biblical doctrines. 82% believe that people have the ability to turn to God on their own initiative. 74% believe individuals must contribute to their salvation. 71% believe Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 56% believe the Holy Spirit is a force, not a personal being. 54% believe everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. 48% believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That's sad. That's very sad. In my experience, many professing Christians have shallow and oftentimes wrong doctrine. They endorse books and preachers and ideas that are cringeworthy. Shallow doctrine leaves people susceptible to apostasy. And wrong doctrine leads people into ungodliness. Isn't that what we've seen in the United Church of Christ? The Mennonite Church, the Presbyterian Church USA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church, the United Methodist Church, and on and on and on. Haven't we watched numerous people and churches compromise on issues like human life, sexuality, marriage, and creation? When the door of sound doctrine is blown off its hinges, the pathway is open for unrestrained depravity. Doctrine divides. It draws a line in the sand. 
which offends many people, of course. However, it's actually a really good thing, just like it's a really good thing for a student to be corrected when he suggests that 4 plus 5 equals 45. Or when she thinks Hamlet was wrestling with the existence of God. Discriminating lines of doctrine are good because they set the boundaries of absolute truth. Here's the point I want to make this morning. It's simple. Sound doctrine is vital for you and our church because sound doctrine glorifies God and promotes love and godliness in us. Of course, of course God wants more than right thinking, but he doesn't want less. What is doctrine? To put it generally, doctrine is the content of teaching. Not sounds like a fancy word. It's the content of teaching. When a teacher teaches, they speak doctrine, teaching. Doctrine in the biblical sense refers to the truth of God's word or the false claims that contradict God's word. So whether faithful or unfaithful to scripture, whenever someone preaches, teaches, evangelizes, writes, composes, or, or presents in some way a coherent theological truth claim that is uh, to be believed, they are communicating doctrine. You can't teach anything without content, without doctrine. The Greek word for doctrine is didaskalia, which appears eight times in 1 Timothy, six times translated teaching and two times translated doctrine. Doctrine and teaching, they're essentially interchangeable terms. Other cognates of the word doctrine appear another eight times, so Doctrine is a prominent theme in the book of 1 Timothy. In fact, it's a prominent theme in all of Scripture. In fact, Scripture itself is doctrine. It is doctrine. And sound doctrine is vital for a church. Sound doctrine is vital for a church. If something is vital, it is necessary for life. Think of your five vital organs, your brain, heart, kidneys, Uh, liver, lungs. Imagine meal planning and grocery shopping without a brain. Your brain is vital. Imagine playing with your grandchildren on the the playground and, and you don't have a heart. The heart is vital. Imagine running the Mannheim Rock and Glow without lungs. Your lungs are vital. Healthy Doctrine is vital for you and me and our church. And as we'll see, it was vital for Timothy and the Ephesian church. If there is to be spiritual life in a church, there must be sound teaching. Without it, there is death and there is decay. First, what is sound doctrine? Well, 1 Timothy 6, 3 and 4 explain it. Paul tells Timothy this, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Well, there you have it. Sound doctrine isn't strange or different. 
It agrees with the comprehensive teaching of Jesus Christ, and it agrees with the teaching that accords with godliness. In fact, in verses 8 through 11, Paul connects sound doctrine with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. By a close study of the New Testament, uh, we can conclude that sound doctrine is Scripture. Scripture. And everything that synchronizes with Scripture. Many churches promote innovation above sound teaching. They strive for contemporary relevance and appeal instead of textual faithfulness and exposition. The evangelical church of America needs revival. And at the heart of that revival must be a return to Scripture and faithful and joyful Bible exposition. The Scripture, the Bible, God's Word, is the lifeblood of an alive church. The moment a church drifts from the passionate, joyful, historical, grammatical, exegetical, and plain proclamation of Scripture is the moment the church begins to die. Because a church cannot live without feasting regularly on God's Word. You get the idea. Now, second, how do we know that doctrine is vital for a church? Listen again to Paul in verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Paul pleaded with Timothy to stay in Ephesus because false teachers, which were actually likely elders within the church, were teaching strange things and were leading people away from God. And Timothy needed to stay and he needed to stop them right away. When Paul said, so that you may charge certain persons, the word charge is a direct order. And since it came from the Apostle Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that means it came from Jesus. Jesus is very doctrinal. Why did Paul want Timothy to stop them? Hey, why not be an inclusive church? An inclusive church which accepts everybody just as they are, even the teachers with diverse ideas. Why not embrace those different teachers in the name of love, in the name of unity? Why not welcome and affirm them because sound doctrine is vital for a church? And as we'll see throughout 1 Timothy, strange and deviant doctrine has devastating effects on people. Devastating. False teachers cannot be coddled or endured. They must be refuted and they must be stopped because they lead people away from Jesus. That was Paul's concern. Now, if well-defined boundaries, doctrinal boundaries, are unimportant for a church, then Paul's letter to Timothy makes absolutely no sense. None. But Paul wrote this letter because well-defined biblical doctrine and its teaching is vital for a church and fosters true love and true godliness. Now, there were faithful 
teachers in Ephesus. But there were also these bold and arrogant false teachers. So just understand this. Sound and defective doctrine exists inside churches. Sound and defective doctrine exists inside churches. At the beginning of the book of Acts, Paul preached and 3,000 people were saved. Rapid church growth. Unbelievable time. And notice what the church then devoted themselves to. This is very important to understand. Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Or you could say the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' teaching. Scripture is the boundary. Now, consider what Jesus said about defective doctrine inside the church. In Matthew 7, verse 15, during his famous Sermon on the Mount... Jesus warned his disciples. He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Friends, the wolves look and act just like the sheep. Okay? But they come to devour and they bring their false teaching as the way to devour. Now, let me say this. Oftentimes, false teachers are very likable people. Very likable. They don't seem mean. They don't seem particularly dangerous. In fact, from a distance, they might seem godly. They may have really big churches, but no matter how likable or successful they appear, their false doctrine is perilous because it pulls people away from God. Years before... Uh, Paul wrote 1 Timothy, this letter. He called the Ephesian elders together, uh, the, the elders of the Ephesian church, and he warned them about something. I find this very striking. This is what he told them. After my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That was prophetic because that's exactly what happened in Ephesus. And that is exactly why Paul was telling Timothy, you got to stay in Ephesus because you have to right these theological wrongs. You have to stop these, these people. Timothy needed to stay and stop them Because God's children, they were being misled. They were being devoured. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 3, Paul used a compound word, heterodidaskaleo. Heteros means different or strange. Didasko means to teach. So when you put them together... It means to teach strange or different doctrines. Defective doctrine exists. It's not all the same. Not all doctrine is the same. There is good and sound doctrine, and there is bad and defective doctrine. It exists, and it was in their church, and it needed to be stopped. 
Verse 4 advances the thought. Timothy was to command these false teachers not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. Now, again, what are Christians supposed to devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching. Paul echoed that in 1 Timothy 4.13. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. To exhortation, to teaching. Teaching what? The apostolic witness. The gospel. Not strange things. But you see, these, these false teachers of Ephesus were devoting themselves not to God's word, not to the apostolic witness, not to the gospel. They were devoting themselves to myths, to legends. Later in 1 Timothy 4, Paul mentioned people departing from the faith and devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. And teachings of demons. He also told Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, we don't know what myths they were teaching. Not exactly. But Paul's point was, for the false teachers that that they deviated from Scripture into these myths. These false things. These tall tales. And they taught things which distracted the the church, the people, from the truth of the apostles' teaching, which they should have been devoted to. And they led the church to unprofitable speculations instead of good stewardship of the gospel. The gospel. The word for speculations means uh, worthless imaginings, futile disputes that accomplish nothing. As verse 6 says, these teachers were wandering away into vain discussion, discussions. Now, there are some good indicators here, verse 7 is one, and Titus 1 verse 14 is one, that suggest these false teachers were teaching Jewish myths and Jewish genealogies. They were likely looking back into the Old Testament and inventing these tall tales not found in Scripture about Jewish family lineages. Dr. Philip Riken noted something very helpful. He wrote, Two ancient Jewish texts shed further light on Paul's meaning. One is entitled The Book of Jubilees, written around 125 B.C. Another was written after A.D. 70 and is called The Biblical Antiquities of Philo. These books retell the Old Testament story from a Pharisaic point of view and include extended genealogies. They go beyond the scriptures to speculate about the biographies of the biblical saints. End of quote. Did you hear it? They go beyond scripture into speculation. And I think that's what Paul was getting at. These teachers invented doctrine and And then they taught it over and above the plain and clear teaching of Scripture. Now, sadly, this is what much preaching is today. This is what it is. Listen to to most preaching. You could turn on the radio. You could turn on TV. You could visit all kinds of churches in Lancaster County. This is what preaching is today. People in the pews can't endure sound teaching, as 2 Timothy 4.3 says. So preachers tell the people what they want to hear in order to be fashionable, in order to be trendy, in order to be popular. And folks, it works. 
It works. People are rushing into these churches to listen to them, but only to their own spiritual harm and the spiritual harm of others. Please listen closely. Innovation in the pulpit destroys the pulpit. The preacher's job is to joyfully follow the Holy Spirit and passionately and persuasively teach the text as it stands, explaining its clear meaning for the joy and for the growth and for the benefit and for the edification of his people. The problem with focusing on myths and these weird, endless genealogies or any sidetrack apart from the pure teaching of Scripture is what Paul said in verse 4. They promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Look again at at verses 6 and 7. Certain persons swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. The heretics were confident and arrogant in their heresy. They wanted to be teachers of the law. They craved it, but yet they had swerved from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Like ignorant fools, they swerved right off the road of sound doctrine into the ditch of strange doctrine. Solid Bible teaching promotes stewardship, good stewardship from God that is by faith. The end of of verse 4, if you take a look, it's difficult to interpret. Here's what I think Paul was getting at. The word stewardship can be used... Of, the, of managing a household, overseeing and managing a household, all the details of the household. A manager oversees and stewards everything that happens inside of that household. Well, God gives the gospel. He gives his message of salvation to his church, and they are to steward the gospel. So the church, with its leaders and its teachers must study the gospel, know the gospel, preach the gospel, teach the gospel, learn the gospel, believe the gospel, and cherish the gospel. They must devote themselves to the whole counsel of God, to the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, and all of its implications and all of its applications. They do it by faith, as Paul said. False teachers... They're not good stewards of the gospel. They abuse it because they twist it in unbelief for their own personal gain, not for the gain and benefit of their people and for the glory of God. Defective doctrine exists in the church. So the church needs teachers who devote themselves to the word of God, teachers who will not pollute the gospel and, please do not miss this, I've just said about the teachers, but this next part would be very easy to miss. And discerning people who will hold them accountable. You play a role in this. The gospel is a precious gift of God, so we must steward it well by faith. 
That's what I think Paul wanted in Ephesus. One writer explained it like this. Ministers of the gospel, like the slave who is steward of his master's estate, are accountable to the Lord for their conduct and leadership and preservation of the message of Christ. Preservation of the message of Christ. The people of God, especially preachers and teachers, must preserve the message of Christ. Which brings us to the next point. Sound doctrine must be protected in a church. Isn't it obvious Just by reading this passage, isn't it obvious that Paul was urging Timothy to protect sound doctrine, to contend for it, to fight for it? Well, that's intimidating. That's intimidating. It's hard to do, especially when you consider that Timothy was a young man called to do this task. By his apostolic authority, Paul authorized Timothy to confront the problem, to charge these false teachers, to stop teaching weird ideas. Stop. You can't do that here. Why? To protect sound doctrine and to protect the sheep. Verse 5 is key to this entire book. Think about it very carefully. But the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I guess you can uh, view verse 5 in two ways. One, that the aim of the charge to the false teachers was to show love for them, to be loving. Or two, that the charge actually refers to Paul and Timothy's gospel instruction of the church contrasted with the false instruction of the false teachers and Paul and Timothy aimed to help people love God and others more. You see see the slight difference there? And maybe it's both. I'm not sure. But uh, consider Paul's use of the connecting conjunction. Don't get lost in this when you hear things like that. First, the ESV is not going to show this to you. I love the ESV, but sometimes I'm like, what? Why did you? Man. So the ESV doesn't show this, but Paul used the conjunction, but, day. In verse 5, but the aim of our charge, which I think shows a contrast between Paul and Timothy's teaching and the heretic's teaching. Second, the word charge can mean instruction. That's how the New American Standard and the Holman Christian Standard translate it. So Paul was likely contrasting how he and Timothy instructed the church in the Scriptures and how the false teachers were instructing the church in uh, bad, strange, weird doctrine and how Paul and Timothy's instruction was actually loving and aimed at increasing people's love of God and love of each other. Either way, Paul and Timothy were instructing And their aim was love. Zero in on the word aim. Aim is the ultimate goal, the end, the desired outcome. The ultimate goal of teaching and protecting sound biblical doctrine is love. Love, 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 love. Some think drawing doctrinal lines is unloving. Wow. Don't they understand Paul? The truth must be lovingly 
protected and plainly taught so that more and more people can love God and love other people for the glory of God. Dr. Robert Yarbrough says that this love grows out of the gospel's transforming work. He nailed it. Where does love come from? The gospel working itself out in people's life, producing in them a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, which both Paul and Timothy had. The gospel produces morally pure and innocent hearts. The gospel produces moral self-awareness and a sensitivity to sin. The gospel produces a genuine and deep faith in Christ In everyone who believes, love overflows from these things. And love is the target of biblical teaching. When when biblical doctrine is fought for and taught, the intended result should never be theological domination. I just ruled you. It it shouldn't be a, a spiritual pistol whipping with Scripture to beat people down. But rather love, love. Love for God, for them, for others. This is why sound doctrine must be protected. It promotes true love. No doubt Paul used strong language. Charge, that's strong language. But strong language was needed under these circumstances. Paul told Timothy later, fight the good fight of faith. It is a fight. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul said, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Then he added, I have fought the good fight. And Jude used this phrase, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend, fight, struggle for the gospel. For the Christian faith, why? Well, Jude answered. He said, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. That's why we must fight to protect the Christian faith and we must fight aiming right at love. Love. Well, how does the church protect sound doctrine? Four quick applications. There are probably more good ones. Number one, have sound and clear doctrinal standards. Have sound and clear doctrinal standards. The theological foundation of a church must be God's word alone. Amen? But, but, it's not enough for a church to say they believe and preach the Bible. Short doctrinal statements on websites don't really tell you much about those churches and their doctrine. A church must articulate its view of the Bible and must be clear about how it interprets the Bible. Some of you may wonder why here at Jerusalem Church we talk a lot about the Heidelberg Catechism if the Scripture is our sole authority. And that might make you a little uncomfortable. Well, consider this. The Heidelberg anchors us to historic doctrine. And helps us express how we view and how we approach the scripture, which is our only source of doctrine. The the Heidelberg and other reform works like the Westminster Confession of Faith or the Canons of Dort or other ones aid us. They help us in understanding the scripture and delineating, drawing those lines of what sound doctrine is. 
creeds or doctrinal statements are not Scripture. They're not on par. They're not equal to. They're not up to. They are subservient. They are less, but they help us define. They help us clarify. They help us explain doctrine. We believe in deeds, not creeds. That's a foolish statement. It's stupid. Don't say things like that. All right. In case you did say it, stop saying it. Number two, theologically train everyone, especially those with the gift of teaching. Train everybody theologically, but especially those with the gift of teaching. We provide here at Jerusalem Church biblical and theological training for our teachers, but we need to do more. We're we're, we're not where we need to be. We need to take our teachers deeper into Scripture and theology, and we need to equip them even more, and we're working towards that. We we know that we need to, to do more of that. So if you are a teacher here of any age group, I don't even care if it's nursery and you have like a three-minute little lesson. If you teach anybody here at Jerusalem, you should be reading substantial and sound theology to make sure you are equipped and to make sure you get it right. Even My son is in that nursery, and I care a lot about what my son believes. So if you're in that nursery, you better be getting the gospel right. And not preaching no moralism to my son. He needs Jesus. So you better get it right. Because my kids are in those classes. And I care about what they are taught. All right. More importantly than that, you'll be accountable to God for what you teach. For every word that you throw out. And so will I. So we should not take our teaching role lightly. What training are you receiving right now? What is feeding into you, training you in doctrine and theology and right thinking, equipping you to teach effectively the apostolic witness to Jesus Christ? Now, if you have no clue, ask the elders. They're loving guys who want to help you. We've got tons of resources, even short ones. They're ready to help. Number three, lovingly teach sound doctrine. That is the aim of this pulpit. That is the aim of our classrooms. The elders want you to be well taught and lovingly taught. John Calvin said this, we therefore teach that faithful ministers are now not permitted to coin any new doctrine, but that they are simply to cleave to that doctrine to which God has subjected all men without exception, end of quote. The best thing any of us can do is to cleave to the doctrine of God's word. One of our core values here at Jerusalem Church, something that we take very seriously is two words, biblical truth. So doctrine is very important to us, but so is delighting in the God who defines the doctrine. We're not just into the mind, we're into the heart and our affection for the God of the doctrines. The last one can be painful and uncomfortable for all of us, but it is vital. Number four, quickly rebuke those not teaching sound doctrine. If I ever teach anything contrary to God's word, you, the people, must confront me. You must hold me accountable. 
If any teacher teaches faulty doctrine, they need to be confronted quickly. Sound doctrine is careful work, so not everybody should teach. Shaky doctrine must never be tolerated or endured or overlooked or ignored because the effects of it are so serious on people's lives. Dr. Riken said this, in the end, every false theology is murderous to the soul. Think about that. So here's the main point again. Sound doctrine is vital for you and our church because sound doctrine glorifies God and promotes love and godliness in us. Sound doctrine glorifies God and promotes love and godliness in a church. Verse 5 shows a connection between love and sound teaching. Then in verses 9 and 10, Paul lists horrible sins. We'll get to these next week. And then he ends like this. And whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, which means that each one of those horrible sins listed is contrary to sound doctrine. Sin is contrary to sound doctrine. If you do away with sound doctrine, you open the door to rampant immorality. And that's what you see in so many people's lives today, and that's what you see in so many churches today. Their bad theology leads them right in to gross immorality. We must purge strange doctrine from us and protect sound doctrine in us in order to do several things. In order to promote the stewardship from God that is by faith. In order to see the gospel produce in people a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. In order to love people deeply and help them love God and help them love others. In order to promote godliness in the church and in order to glorify and enjoy God. Paul told the Corinthians, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. When we preach Christ crucified, God is glorified and people are roused to love and godliness. Like Paul, may the cry of our heart be this, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. With love in our crosshairs, we must proclaim Christ crucified and then unpack for people the profound mysteries of the gospel, trusting the Spirit to work through the Word. And never should we introduce anything that distracts from that. Now, Jerusalem Church has not always been faithful to sound doctrine. Over many years and several mergers, this church ended up in the United Church of Christ, arguably the most liberal denomination, a denomination that abandoned God so many years ago. But courage and wisdom in many of you sitting here today helped redirect this church. And God is blessing your investment. I hope you see what God is doing here He's blessing you, but I hope you also realize that strange doctrine still lingers here, and it will take much humility, and it will take much time, and it will take much gentleness and love to confront and to correct the false doctrine that still exists here, especially since that doctrine has been tolerated for many years. 
We must replace it with clear and plain and persuasive and glorious biblical doctrine for the sake of loving God and for the sake of loving each other and for the sake of loving our community and our world. What you believe in the pews is really, really important. Now, I think some of you, maybe a lot of you, I don't know, are insecure when it comes to your knowledge of the Bible and theology. You're insecure. You're on edge about it. You, you might even be scared to say anything in a Sunday school class or in a meeting because you don't want to be wrong or you don't want to, to, to make it seem like, oh man, I've said that and the pastor just said that's not true in his sermon and I just said it. And, and you feel very on edge about that. I just want to encourage you. I want to build you up. You might be wrong. Okay? You might be wrong. But you show strength when you fight through to humbly adjust and believe the truth. How you are corrected will say a lot about your heart. Oh, you could preach to us in big ways if you said something weird and it was corrected and you're like, oh, that's not, thank you. That is so helpful, man. I love that. I got a new belief. I'm walking out with it now. And I just want to encourage you that there are no shortcuts to doctrinal maturity. There are no shortcuts. You, you have to want it. You have to want to grow and you have to work at it. And we all need to work at it. I, I, it. I'm disturbed inside when people are like, I'm just not a reader. I don't have a degree. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. How do you think the people who have the degrees got the knowledge that they had? They worked. They worked hard. It's not like some have some, we all have different gifts. I understand that. But it's not like some have just this inside track to God because I'm so much better than you or whatever. No, do the work. Study the scripture. Dig it apart. You will grow. You don't put yourself way down. Trust the spirit to work in you no matter what level of educa- education. Forget it. It's important, but don't let that detract you from the work that you could do and the growth that could come. Good doctrine is developed over years of hard and humble studying and learning and discerning and discussing and discipleship and conforming to Christ. So here, as I conclude quickly here, there are a few things, five things that that you can do to launch you towards doctrinal integrity and maturity. This is how you can grow. All right, so if you really want it, right here it is. This is really simple. Number one, study your Bible, don't just read it. Study your Bible, don't just read it. The better you know the Bible, the better your doctrine will be. Number two, read the Heidelberg Catechism. Read it. It is most excellent, and it will help you understand God's Word. Number three, read good books. Now, I've noticed that many of you do not read good theology books to help you grow in Christ. So let me be straight. That's holding us back. That's holding us back. There are, there are so many helpful books out there that you can read, and some of them are really, really short. They're so short. You can do it. 
I'm a really slow reader. If you're slower than me, which I guess is possible, you can make it through in probably a week. Small, I mean, small books that will give you so much help, and the elders can help you know what to read. Number four, read good articles online. Now, that, that's interesting. Well, I read it on the internet. I mean, you hear weird stuff. Well, it's got to be true. It was on the internet. No, let me direct you a little bit. Ligonier.org. DesiringGod.org, TheGospelCoalition.org, Chalies.com, Theopedia.com, Monergism.com. Read helpful theological articles. Again, the elders can help you do that and can direct you to the right place. Number five, last one, listen to free online seminary classes from good seminaries. I emphasize the good seminary part of that. Check out thirdmill.org or biblicaltraining.org. Go to iTunes. I think they have it in iTunes U. And check out Reformed Theological Seminary and Westminster Theological Seminary and Covenant Theological Seminary. How helpful they would be for you. Try one or two of those ideas, would you? to grow yourself in doctrine. And, and if you're like, I, I have no idea where to start. I'm just totally overwhelmed. Talk to me about that. Talk to one of the elders because we'd be really, really happy to help you know where to start slow and easy, something that's not way over your head or whatever. But you know, it starts with you. You have to be hungry for it. If your resting heart rate is 20 beats per minute, you're in trouble, Okay. A strong pulse is vital. Many Christians live with a dangerously low doctrinal pulse, and they don't even realize how much harm, like they're in harm's way. They don't even get it. Sound doctrine is vital. We need to make sure that our doctrinal pulse is strong. So let me end here. Aren't we glad that we have the Holy Spirit of God who can strengthen our doctrinal pulse through his word. Aren't we thankful for that? How patient God is with us and how much he is ready to help us believe what he wants us to believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a tender and loving God. You don't just pistol whip us with doctrine and yell at us to get ourselves in line. All of our doctrine is faulty. I mean, I, I have things that, I, that I've said that aren't true. I don't necessarily know what they are, but God, would you protect your people to help them see the clarity and plainness and perspicuity of your word. Help them simply to study your word, to grow in doctrine, and protect them by the Spirit. Protect their minds, protect their hearts, protect their godliness, protect their doctrine. Uh, God, we all, we all have weirdness about our theology, but hopefully we are unified in the clear teaching of the apostolic gospel. And I pray that you unite us around that. And then when it comes to things like baptism, oh, that's tricky. So what do we do with that? Well, God, help us to be generous, knowing that at least our starting point is we want to be faithful to your word. So, so God, make us humble people loving people, but also courageous people to deal with false teachers quickly, appropriately, and strongly, commanding them to stop. 
There are not multiple ways to God. There is one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if anyone teaches something different than that, hey, there might be two or three or four or a million ways, we need to shut that down right away. If someone questions the Trinity, we need to shut that down. If someone questions the sovereignty of God, we need to shut that down. We need to preach the gospel unapologetically and give us favor in that God. We want to be a faithful church. So it's, it's, it's your grace that's going to do it. It's your spirit. It's your word. So help us to be faithful, God. Help us to have sound biblical doctrine for your sake. In the name of love of you and others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.